Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 14 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. On today's episode, part one of a brand new four-part series on agriculture here in Saskatchewan and how a development in China changed that landscape. Paul, I'm intrigued. Uh, Firstly, Happy New Year to you. Well, and a Happy New Year to you too, Dan. It's an interesting start to the year. I'm looking out of the window. I don't think I've seen this much snow since, wait, last year. And it surprises me each year. I'm only, I don't know, seven years into being here in Saskatchewan, but it always surprises me somehow. Well, we might call you a slow learner, but uh, anyway, it, it is to be expected. Uh, although with some of the, uh, uh, you know, the drought conditions we've had, you can, you can, uh, understand, <clears throat> excuse me, why people may think we could go through an entire winter without any snow. But uh, these are really encouraging signs to see snow piling up. And uh, you know, one of the bellwethers or the uh, the metrics or markers for me is uh, have the snow plows piled up snow in the center of the road and the boulevards. And uh, if we get to that point, that's always a healthy sign that uh, you know we'll at least start the spring with a little bit of moisture in the ground. And that's great for agriculture. So let's get into this, part one of a brand new four-part series. Uh, Take me through the history of what happened then and how we got to now. Well, I just want to work this under the theory of don't miss big trends. Uh, There's big stuff that goes on, and sometimes we get caught up in our day-to-day lives, and we, we see what's going on immediately in front of us. And we we miss what's going on, the really big, big picture stuff, and that could be global, but how that impacts us. So I want to just talk through a, a couple of examples that I had the opportunity to witness as a, as a journalist. And, uh, and I think they're insightful. And when I speak to particularly uh, entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs, young people, and uh, those in the agricultural community, I just try and reinforce this message that yeah, we get caught up in looking at what's going on inside the four walls of our business and maybe with our clients. We forget to look at what's the big picture that's going on around us. And uh, if Saskatchewan Matters does anything, we talk about that and how Saskatchewan fits into that picture. And it, it just struck me as I was talking with, uh, with Alan Johnston the other day from uh, Johnston's Grain that, uh, you know, he he sort of reminded me of some experiences I had and how significant they were. And if, if I would have been able to read the tea leaves better, I think I would have uh, uh, been able to provide a little more insight uh, back home. But anyway, the first one that I want to talk about uh, goes back to the mid-80s. And I was with Saskatchewan Business Magazine at the time, and we had uh, some other magazines in the uh, stable, one of them being Asia-Pacific Business Magazine. And it was a fledgling and Richard Murray, who had started the company, had, uh, had called me up one day and he said, uh, I need you to, uh, to join a group that's heading over to, uh, to Hong Kong and Guangzhou. And it was a Vancouver business group. And uh, they were opening their first business in, uh, in Guangzhou, but they were going to stop in Hong Kong for a few days on the way. And leading that mission was the mayor of Vancouver at that time, Mike Harcourt. 
Uh, he went later on uh, went on later to become the premier of British Columbia, but this is while he was still the uh, the mayor. And so I got to spend a fair bit of time with him on this uh, seven day junket and uh, and saw some really interesting things. And here are the primary observations. We're in Hong Kong the first three or four days. And this was in a period of time in the mid 80s when uh, the Pacific Rim was in ascension and they were using terms like the tigers to talk about the emerging economies in uh, the Pacific Rim, particularly China, Korea and, uh, and so on. So we go to Hong Kong, and uh, you need to understand that in terms of uh, geographic uh, footprint, Saskatoon and Hong Kong are roughly the same size. Uh, they use up about the same amount of space. There's the difference. Hong Kong at that time had 6 million people. So they build up, not out. Uh, so, you know, a lot of density. And those were the days of the old airport, the old Kai Tak, and uh, you would come in uh, 747s principally that were landing there, and they would come in, fly in among the apartment buildings. You know, you'd be looking out the window of the uh, of the airplane, and you would be looking into the apartments of people cooking dinner or whatever they were they were doing. So, uh, the interesting thing, though, is that while there were six million people in Hong Kong, there were eight million jobs. So there was more jobs than there was people, and sometimes we experience that around here too. So what they did was they pushed 2 million jobs up the Pearl River into Guangzhou and to what was then emerging. Uh, the Chinese government was responding to this new demand. And remember, Deng Xiaoping was, was leading China and was uh, the great leap forward where they were opening the doors to the West. And so this was four or five years into the, uh, the experiment of opening uh, up to the rest of the world. And... So we were kind of kicking around in Hong Kong and uh, and talking to business people about this and the fact that, you know, there simply was more jobs than there was people. Now, the last three days of the mission, we move up to Guangzhou. And at that time, uh, China and Chinese cities and provinces were doing twinning arrangements. This was their way of connecting with people in the uh, you know, organizations and communities outside of China to put their hands on technology, uh, to create relationships. They were just, basically, they wanted to open economic ties, and they used the twinning or, or sister cities, sister province relationships as a tool for that. So Vancouver's sister city in China was Guangzhou, third largest city in China, third largest city in Canada. And uh, so uh, we go over to Guangzhou and the Shenzhen special economic zone was just had just been created to accommodate all of this economic activity because the Chinese government wanted to create a special zone so they could have special rules for business, but also to kind of segregate things a little bit. And uh, they'd ultimately created a few of these zones, but Shenzhen was the first big one to do it. So off we go. And uh, I'm tagging along with the mayor and he's you know, they've, they've got this official opening of the, the Vancouver company, these Vancouver business guys who had created this firm to sell. It was medical equipment, uh, mostly uh, surgical equipment, to China. And so they opened a storefront to be able to, to transfer. They would buy the, the technology here and then uh, equipment and sell it through their retail operation or wholesale operation over there. So the mayor was along to uh, do the grand opening and the ribbon cutting and whatever. So that's a few hours. Uh, but the rest of the time, uh, we we're kind of going around meeting people and doing working off this sister city relationship. And, and Harcourt said to me one night, uh, I'm, I'm going to meet the mayor of Guangzhou, my counterpart. Do you want to come along? 
And I said, absolutely. He said, okay, meet me in the lobby of the hotel at 6.30, Saturday night. And I said to him, like, you know, why would you be meeting at 6.30 on a Saturday night? I mean, why not office hours? And he kind of smiled and he said, I don't know, but they told me that's when we can get there. So that was the first signal. And we jump in our cars and they got a police escort and all the stuff that you would expect. Well, we just crawled through the city of Guangzhou and there was so much traffic, so many people. I remember coming around one corner and you know, the street was kind of cordoned off, but because we we're being escorted by police cars, we got through. But there was a chalk outline of a body on the ground. Some pedestrian obviously had been uh, hit by a car. It was just so congested that you couldn't even move around. And we go to the meeting and the uh, and there's just Harcourt and the mayor and the interpreters, and, and they graciously allowed me to sit in. So Harcourt's question to his counterpart was, you know, what's what's the biggest issue you're dealing with right now? And uh, the mayor of Guangzhou responded by saying that he had cordoned off the city using the military to do it. And so Harcourt's response was, well, you know, why would you do that? I and mean, what would cause you to do that? And he said, all right, you were just in Hong Kong, and you saw what was going on. Six million people, eight million jobs. Two million jobs got pushed up the Pearl River, and I'm dealing with that in my community here in Guangzhou, Shenzhen. And he said, people are moving from the farm to the city to take these jobs, and they're coming at a rate of 6,000 a day, and I can't accommodate them. So I've cordoned off the city until I can get some housing built. And the thought that went through my mind was, there isn't a mayor in Canada who wouldn't kill for 6,000 jobs. This guy's getting it every day. And I realized later in hindsight, I missed the point completely. Yes, that's factual. I mean, yes, but that was an event. The news that was going on in this was this shift of people moving from the farm to the city. Over the course of the next 20 years, somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 million people left rural China and moved into the urban environment, into the cities, took the jobs in the factories that were being created. And, you know, that story is well documented, well known. I, every consumer in North America knows that, you know, so much stuff is made in China. And, and these were the staffers that were populating the, the work floors uh, in those factories. And here's what happens. This was the big trend and why it matters to Saskatchewan was when you start to put money in the pockets of people who don't have money previously, the first thing they demand is a better diet. They want more protein. And that was the big shift that started, was the global demand for protein went way up. And that put a lot of pressure on farmers around the world to start to increase their output, change their output. And we saw it transform here with the arrival and the advent of uh, pulse crops becoming such an important factor in our agricultural mix. You know, prior to 2000, there really wasn't very much in the way of pulse production around here. Lentils, there was, you know, one or two pioneers who were who were growing lentils. And I, you know, I would say that they were probably poo-pooed or you know, people would look down their nose and say, eh, just the elevator doesn't go quite to the top floor with those guys, right? And then when this demand started to shift, uh, you know, people were lining up at their doors. So tell me about how you grow these lentils things that you've been doing for so long. And what we saw was an absolutely remarkable transformation here. And to me, this is the testament, and I've talked about this before, the testament to the ability and knowledge and skill set of farmers in Saskatchewan 
you know, we were not a player in this. World demand changed, and we pivoted and responded. Five years after that, from sort of a zero start, standing still, you know, from zero to five years later being the world's leading exporter. I mean, think about that. Go from zero to world domination in five years. I like to say that Microsoft didn't even achieve that, but Saskatchewan farmers did. Really quite a remarkable story. And to have had that ringside seat, to be able to see that conversation happening between the mayor of Vancouver and the mayor of Guangzhou, even though it had nothing, neither of those guys had anything to do with Saskatchewan. It had everything to do with Saskatchewan. And that has now morphed uh, 20 or 35 years later into not only are we doing different crop mixes, but now we're starting to think about how do we sell ingredients. We're seeing the arrival of <clears throat> in uh, consumer taste changing where, uh, you know, we're moving from uh, meat to vegetarian-based diets uh, to get vegetable protein into the mix more. You're seeing things like uh, veggie burgers. I mean, this kind of stuff that uh, has changed, you know, is, is sort of mainstream now, I guess, in, in restaurants, uh, particularly in fast food restaurants. So, you know, to have been there to watch this conversation, the the big picture was was unfolding in front of us. And I, you know, often kick my own but on this one for not truly recognizing the magnitude of the shift that was going on. But if you pay attention to the big trends, sometimes you will actually see them and they're there and you need to be able to say to yourself, how do I fit into that? And, and in this one, the big trend was the emergence of a middle class in China, 500 million people strong, change the way we do business in Saskatchewan. And when we look at that, change that came, the external factors. Is there a lesson to be learned when we look inside our four walls, when we don't look at those international factors, when we're too concerned with an echo chamber, potentially, and we should actually maybe spend a little bit more time listening to how people outside of that box are communicating? Absolutely. Uh, two thoughts that come to mind on that. One is, there's a great quote that's attributed to Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, who said, when somebody asks me a question, I don't know the answer. I go to the store because that's where the customers are. And I ask them and they've got all the money. Um, you know, so really it is about being customer centric. It's about learning. And I find that too often in business, people will, you know, kick around a new idea. And the first thing they'll do is say, well, here's why it won't work. Here are the problems with it. Yes, you need to sort out the problems with it. No question. But if you start from the perspective of why it won't work, rather than what does it take to make it work, which is a more positive approach. Uh, I think that's the lesson in all of this is when you look at opportunity. It should not be seen as something that is disruptive or a pain in the tail or whatever because it's going to change the status quo of what you've been doing. You really have to look at it and say, how can I be innovative around this? And how can I then uh, you know, make it happen? What steps do I need to do? You almost go to the end product and work backwards rather than start here and try and figure out what the end solution is going to look like. I mean, just think about just think about how the media has changed. I mean, what are we doing right now? A podcast. Ten years ago, who heard of a podcast? I mean, this is part of the transition that's gone on. And now, you know, any organization worth its salt has a podcast because what we're learning is we all have some innate 
expertise. That's why we're able to make a living uh, because the marketplace will pay for that. In the old days, we used to put that into a book. Now, uh, you know, you can put it in a book or you can do it the way we're doing it here. We can talk about it. Absolutely. And hey, I'm an advocate for that. And sometimes a lesson that I learned, a lesson that I learned is sometimes you can be a pioneer of something and just the market's not right yet, but it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. For example, my first podcast was 2005 and there was no one there. There was no one listening. There was no market, but the skills and everything learned from then has helped build podcasts in different parts of the world ever since. And I'm incredibly thankful for that. Well, it's, you're absolutely right. And I mean, it, you know, sometimes it's just the perseverance of hanging in there long enough, but it's that old line about it took me 10 years to be an overnight sensation. I mean, these things do take a long time to gestate. And, and there's kind of a, a thing in business. If you look at it from a startup's perspective, you just kind of go along and you're, you know, sales might be increasing a little bit organically or whatever. And then in year seven, something happens and you create a hockey stick. Did you do things differently in year seven than year six? No, but there's a turning point that comes where uh, early adopters get, you know, moved into uh, the mainstream, the early majority. And then all of a sudden it's transformational. What'll happen to your business? And talking of transformation worldwide, 6.3 million tons of lentils are produced every single year and 3.2 of that is from canada the next place in the world is india with a third of that number this yeah. is a massive success story it, it's massive and you know people don't understand that that so half of the world's production now and you know the the lion's share of that comes out of saskatchewan uh, because we've got uh, the big land base but we've got the producers capable of responding to that and uh, 30 years ago, we weren't a player. So did consumption go up that much or did we displace somebody? I think consumption went up that much. And this is really uh, the beginning of, you know, we talked about we're going to do a series here. And and I think in later in the series, I want to talk about how we're seeing this transition go from primary production to where 20 years from now, we'll probably see Saskatchewan as an organization that sells agricultural products by the part rather than by the train load will sell constituent parts or ingredients. Paul, thank you so much for this insight. As you mentioned, episode one of a four-part series. Incredibly excited about this because it's nice to see a story go from beginning, middle and end and the exciting bit, looking to that future piece as well. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share the insights that power Saskatchewan with friends and colleagues. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Oh, and Happy New Year. <laughs>